We continue to thank and praise God as a church for those who give regularly their tithes and offerings, both here in worship as we're uh, sometimes seen by others, but also we know there are many who give online uh, and through the mail and through other means, and we want to acknowledge and thank and praise God for you as well. This morning, we're continuing our sermon series on rest. Over the last few weeks, Pastor Harrison's been talking about rest, specifically what it looks like to enter God's rest and to find peace in our relationships. Today, we're continuing wondering about inner peace, a personal quest for rest. And the sermon won't be as rhymy as that last line maybe makes you think. Um, You're allowed to laugh. It's a church, not a funeral home. Um, If I'm not funny, then don't laugh, but got to give me one once in a while. We're going to open up God's Word together this morning. Isn't it such a joy to be able to do that? For the last two Sundays, Kaylee and I were not at River Park. Uh, we were elsewhere, and uh, it's just such a joy to be back with you, opening God's Word together and submitting our hearts to Him and to His leading. So let's do that together. Uh, we're going to read, or I'm going to read for us, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 20. The words will be on the screen behind me, or you can also... Uh, Open up a Bible in front of you or uh, an app on your phone. Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. He says, I thank Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor of, and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, Paul says, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to that eternal, to that king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well, holding on to the faith and good conscience which some have rejected and so suffered shipwreck with regard to their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. So far, the reading of God's word. As in any Bible text, especially when you end on a note like that, right? There's so much to unpack here. And the Bible is such a big book, and as we move through it uh, at different places or different chunks at a time, it's worth orienting ourselves and remembering where we are in the story. So, this morning we are in the last little bit of the New Testament. If you have a paper Bible in front of you, you're going to see that there's just a little bit of the story left over. We're in a section called the Pastoral Letters. Did you know that the Bible contained personal letters? We often think of letters from the Bible as letters to a whole group, like 1 Corinthians or Galatians or Hebrews, letters to a big uh, church, a collection of people. But 
books like Titus and Philemon and Timothy, what we read together this morning, are written first to an individual and then shared with other people. And so first, this letter was from Paul to encourage and direct Timothy, who he calls his true son in Christ. I said when I opened this series on rest that we were going to talk about rest as Sabbath, so stopping from our work and stopping from exercising the power and control that we normally do, that we were going to talk about rest as shalom, as peace and flourishing, and we were also going to talk about rest as connection, connection with God, connection with one another, uh, connection with, with creation, with the earth, which we're going to talk about next week and also connection within ourselves. And when I say, when I talk about connecting within ourselves, what I mean is knowing ourselves honestly and accurately, how we actually are. Perhaps you've never thought of that before. Or maybe you've been so busy recently that you haven't considered that it's important to take time to get to know yourself. A friend of mine who is also a pastor recently told me a story about a member of his church who called him out of the blue one day and needed a ride. And so when he went to pick her up, uh, they got to talking and he asked her, what do you need a ride for? And she told him that her car had been repossessed recently. She had stopped making payments on it. What's more, she had racked up over $17,000 in credit card debt. How did this happen? He asked her. And she responded instantly. She said, I don't know. I have no idea. And she really didn't know. It took a couple days of thinking and looking for her to realize that her her spending habits uh, were just out of control. That she bought every meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner at a restaurant. She never went to the grocery store, never made food for herself. She continued to spend more and more money on food, even though she, more than she was making, even though she had a good job. This woman really didn't know herself. She didn't understand how much money she was making, and she didn't understand how to cook or or prepare meals for herself. She didn't understand the consequences of her choices, and so she was unable to see that she needed help until things are until a lot of damage was done it might seem unrealistic to for someone to be so disconnected from themselves or perhaps just unrealistic to be so disconnected from their finances but i think if we take scripture seriously and if we look at ourselves honestly then we have to admit that all of us are running from or ignoring some part of ourselves Certainly, it's not finances for all of us, but some part. After all, this is one of the ways that the Bible talks about sin. Sin is not just harming some other person or or pushing away, becoming disconnected from God. Sin is also damaging ourselves. Isaiah says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. That does damage to ourselves when we go our own way. See, some of us think uh, with pride and self-righteousness about ourselves. We, are, we think we're, we're pretty kind and generous people, that we'd be friends with others around us, people not as good as me, not as pretty as me, 
not as skilled as I am. Others of us, we think too little of ourselves. We imagine that we're so messed up or so ugly or so unskilled that we are unlovable or unacceptable. Do you know which one you are? If you don't know, I suggest that you may not know yourself as well as you should. Perhaps you're so caught up in a busy pace of life that you haven't had time to reflect about the tendency at work in your own heart. But John Calvin, one of the leaders of the Reformed, the Reform- Reformation movement in the 1500s, John Calvin said that knowing God begins with knowing ourselves. That we can't find rest in God until we see ourselves accurately and understand our need for him. The Apostle Paul in our text for this morning shows that he knows himself accurately. He said uh, in the text we just read, he said, Once I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent man, but the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This is the amazing thing about the grace of our Lord, that God's grace, his undeserved favor, offers rest to those who think too little of ourselves. God offers rest to those who think too little of ourselves because he lifts us up to heights that we could never achieve on our own. But Jesus also offers rest to those of us who think too much of ourselves because he frees us from the endless work of striving to maintain our position, to maintain our beauty, to maintain our skills. Jesus releases us from righteousness or a sort of right standing that's based on our own efforts and based on our own inability. The grace of Jesus Christ invites us always, whoever we are and wherever we are, into an eternal life and love and faith that are ours only through Jesus Christ and only when we are a part of the family of God. The grace of Jesus Christ offers us to, or invites us to know ourselves more fully. The good parts of ourselves, the parts that we're proud of and that we show off to others, but also the bad parts, the parts that we're ashamed of, that we try to hide or or preserve from others. The grace of Jesus Christ invites us to know all of ourselves. And that's a scary thing. But it also invites us to experience in God more love, more peace, more rest than we ever thought possible. And so Paul offers this trustworthy saying to Timothy, to his spiritual son. You can see it on the screen behind me. It says, Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Now, Paul is is saying this about himself, but Paul is not just saying this about himself. Paul is saying, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. In other words, this isn't just his personal perspective This is Paul's suggestion or stronger direction about how Timothy should see himself, about how all of us should see ourselves. 
And so I, if, if, you're, if you're daring this morning, I know if you're not laughing at my jokes, I know that some of you are going to be scared to speak in church as well, but we're going to do it all together. I just invite you to repeat those words with me. We're going to, the words that are on the screen right behind me, let's say it together. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. See, brothers and sisters, if you think too much of yourself, you can't say that last part, can you? If you think too much of yourself, it's, you have no problem saying that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, but you won't say, oh, I'm the worst. And if you think too little of yourself, you will only be able to say that last part. You'll only be able to go around all the time and through your, with your words or, or in your heart, think to yourself, I'm the worst. Jesus Christ is the freedom and the rest that both of you are looking for, that all of us are looking for, both those of you and those of us who think too much of ourselves and those of you, those of us who think too little of ourselves. I mentioned in passing that Timothy was Paul's spiritual son. And Paul refers to him that way. He says at the beginning of the letter, a part that we didn't read, he says, Timothy, my true son in the faith. I wonder if you can say those words, Jesus Christ came into, save, came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. If you can know yourself that well, do you know yourself well enough to give yourself to someone else? Some of you will right away assume that I'm talking about marriage, but I'm not. This is a, in, in the interaction between Paul and his spiritual son. Before I left on vacation, I painted a picture for you of the future of the church in the West. Do you remember what I said? So the future of the church in the West, whatever it is and whoever, it remain, whoever remains, will be characterized by one thing, by intimate relationships. I don't mean by intimate relationships that a bunch of people are going to get married and have kids and band together. What I mean is that people are going to continue to move around the globe at ever-increasing speeds. And the people of God will need and will learn to depend on one another more deeply, to share fellowship more frequently, to be drawn together into more intimate relationships by the Holy Spirit. Paul's relationship with Timothy is a beautiful picture of rest for us, of the depth and intimacy of relationships that we can have within the family of God as well. Do you know yourself well enough to give yourself to someone else? Acts 16 tells us that Timothy was born and raised in Derby. And because I'm a nerd and I love all these uh, historical facts and places, I can imagine a map of the ancient Near East and I can imagine right where it is. But it's not important for you to know where it is. Maybe some of you can imagine it as well. Derby was a Roman city in Asia Minor. Derby wasn't quite the end of the world, but you could see it from there, as it were. Derby was at the end of a Roman road. There was very little traffic that went through. Uh, and beyond Derby was the wilds of Cappadocia, 
All the barbarians were on the other side of the hills just beyond Derby. Timothy grew up in Derby, and he grew up in a similar biological family that Paul did. They didn't know each other. They weren't related. But Timothy, like Paul, Timothy's dad was a Roman or a Greek, and his mother was a Jew. The first time that Paul went to Derby was on his first missionary journey. The city gets just a word of mention after a big kerfuffle. Paul and Barnabas went to Lystra, and if you, know, if you read the book of Acts, you may know this story. In Lystra, the people thought that they were Zeus and Apollo, the embodiment of the Roman gods, and so they bowed down and they worshipped them. And, and Paul and Barnabas said, no, no, that's not us, we're not them. And so the people got very upset, and they stoned Paul and Barnabas. They, stoning was not just trying to kill them, but it was actually ostracization, pushing them out of the community, totally rejecting them, saying, we want nothing to do with you. And Paul and Barnabas fled from that place of persecution in Lystra. They fled to Derby, down to the end of the road, the edges of the empire where nobody would find them. And they recovered there for a while. Now, maybe Paul met Timothy as a young man when he was there that first time. Maybe not. But when Paul returned to Lystra and then also to Derby on his second missionary journey, now he's with Silas, Acts tells us that immediately Paul looked for Timothy and found him. And Timothy became a helper for Paul. By the end of the book of Romans, about the middle of uh, Paul's ministry, Paul refers to Timothy as a co-worker or a partner in the gospel. They had spent years together at that point. They had lots of talks around the fire. They had sailed across the Mediterranean a few times. Lots of hours walking along the road. They went on vacation together. Now, in, the, in his personal letter to Timothy, the letter toward the end of Paul's life, Paul says, Timothy, my son, this is what we read together, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and good conscience. Paul's passing the baton to Timothy. I'm giving you this command, he says. But what command is that? Well, when we look back to the top of the letter, to the first couple verses of 1 Timothy, we find it. And this is where it's maybe helpful to have a Bible in front of you. This is 1 Timothy 1, verse 3. Paul starts his letter and he says, As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus. So now Timothy's in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer, not to devote themselves to myths or endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. It's a danger today too, isn't it? That we would be uh, devoting to things that promote controversy and speculation rather than advancing God's work. The goal of this command, Paul says to Timothy, the goal of my command to you, Timothy, is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. So why am I going into all of this detail about Paul and Barnabas and Zeus and Apollo and Derby and the edges of the known world? Well, we know now 
that Timothy is from this nowhere corner of the Roman Empire. We also know, and the purpose we went into that is because in our text for today, Paul calls him to remain, to stay, but not to remain or to stay at home. He calls him to stay in Ephesus and to play the role that God has called him to play in the church there. Timothy, this small town boy from the middle of nowhere, has been called by Paul and more importantly by God to go to Ephesus, this big city, and to remain there. Ephesus, we won't go into all the details, but Ephesus was the most important city on the western side of Asia Minor. It was where the Roman Empire went from, from Europe and went into Asia. So there's tons, there's more than half a million people there. Timothy, this small town boy, has now been called by God to go to this big city and to remain there at the crossroads of the world and to advance God's work. It's a powerful story about finding rest in God's purpose, in knowing himself, and doing so far from home, far from his his mom and dad, far from his siblings if he had any, but finding rest in the work that God has called him to do. It's an important story because, well, I think many of us may resonate with that story. Many of us either as children grew up and moved far away from home, or we have children that have grown up and moved far away from home. This is not so foreign and strange to us that we can't connect with it. For myself, it's a story that I resonate with as well. I grew up in a small town that feels like a forgotten corner of Ontario. God has led me all over the world. And in my travels and in my years, living here and there, I've found and followed other Christian people, specifically Christian men, who have shared God's love with me and spoken God's words to me. Pastors, Christian leaders, even peers and friends who are Christians Some of these people, we still get together on a regular basis. In fact, that's what we did a few weeks ago where this picture is from. Last weekend, this was taken last Sunday. Kaylee and I were gathered together with a group of other uh, ministers and their spouses from around the U.S. and Canada. There's a few in our group that couldn't be there as well. But these are people that we've walked with who have encouraged us. This fall, I'm going to go visit another mentor and someone who's been very important to me, and he lives in Spain. When Kaylee and I felt that God was calling us here to Calgary, I also heard God calling us to stay, calling me to stay, to remain and advance God's work here as long as I can. That same call from Paul to Timothy, remain. Friends, if you don't know the joy of hearing God's words of love spoken to you from and through other people, then I would suggest to you that you don't know the fullness of the rest that God has for you. If you've not received from others the loving words of God, the challenging words of God, the exhortation of God to keep going, then you don't fully know rest. When I'm discouraged or tired, when I'm frustrated, I can return to those moments in my life, 
and to those people, not just the people behind me, but to others as well. I can return to those moments in my life just as Timothy could have. And I hope and pray just as you can. I remember the moment when Kaylee and I squeezed each other's hands as our plane landed in the YYC airport for the first time. We looked over the downtown and said, oh, this is going to be our home. I remember the moment of being blessed by an elder in my former congregation when she said, God is calling you to go. And in God's beautiful timing, she texted me this morning, said, I was praying for you this morning as you prepare for your message. I know the moment that I caught God's dream for River Park Church and sensed his passion for us to follow his vision, to follow our vision. A moment last weekend I can think back to, praying with those other ministers, co-workers in the gospel. Friends, if you don't have these moments in your life and these people in your life to turn back to, then you are missing out. You don't yet know the, the fullness of the rest that God has for you. If you don't know that lasting rest from God, then you may actually know what it is to be handed over to Satan. Those are the strong and foreign words that our text ends with today. It, Paul says of Hymenaeus and Alexander, I've handed them over to, be Satan, to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Those are strong and foreign words to us, not because we don't understand them, we, we can parse the words in English, but those are not words, that's not the kind of language that we normally use. Paul says that some have been re- rejected, or excuse me, some have rejected the faith and rejected good conscience, and so they've suffered shipwreck with regard to their faith. You can imagine the picture that Paul is trying to uh, evoke in Timothy and in his leaders, right? A beautiful ship that's built for the sea and now it's been uh, pulled apart by the rocks, totally wrecked by a storm. Paul continues, he says, Among these people are Hymenaeus and Alexander, who I've handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. This very strong expression is used one place, one other place in Scripture, in the New Testament, in the context of a man committing sexual immorality with his mother. In that case, Paul says, Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of our Lord. That's 1 Corinthians 5. Now, in both cases, I want you to see, and we're not going to spend too much time on this just because uh, we don't have all the time, but in both cases, I want you to see that handing someone over to Satan is very clearly a painful thing, but also has a redemptive purpose. In both cases, we see that Paul wants people who are sinning and who are not only maybe hurting themselves, maybe hurting other people, he wants them to experience the physical and spiritual consequences of their sin first outside of the family of God, outside of the community, and second, so that they might repent and be restored. So Paul says that this man who's sinning against his body should experience suffering in the flesh so that he will repent and be fully saved when Christ comes again. Likewise, in our text, Hymenaeus and Alexander have rejected the faith and good conscience 
and so have suffered shipwreck for their faith. And so Paul hands them over to Satan for the purpose that they be, that they be taught not to blaspheme. That's what Paul says. What does it mean to be taught not to blaspheme? Well, many examples in Jesus' ministry make it clear. Blasphemy is saying one of two things and sometimes saying both things. Blasphemy is first saying, I am God, or second, saying that God is not God. And sometimes it's both. Blaspheming is denying the power and authority and goodness of God, or it's claiming the power and authority and goodness of God for ourselves. Paul says that being put outside of the family of God, in other words, where Satan is, right? Outside of the protection and the care of God and for his children. Paul says that being put outside of the family of God will create the situation in which these men will learn that they are not God and that God is who he says he is. No doubt, though, this learning will come through difficulty. So we've had a few different, uh, maybe what felt like sidetracks or rabbit trails this morning, but all of this, for me at least, and I hope for you, is building to a question. And this is the question I want to end with today. Have you experienced life outside of the community of God's people? Have you experienced life outside of the community of God's people? And I don't by that mean, um, have you stopped coming into the, this physical building? It is just as easy to be far from the community of God's people and be seated here as it is to be seated in an airport or anywhere else around the world. Have you experienced life outside of the community of God's people and within that, outside of the provision and love and power of God? Do you know what life alone and isolated is like? And have you said with your mouth or believed in your heart, I don't need God. I have the power, I have the authority, I have the ability, I have the goodness to take care of myself to take care of all of my own needs. If you can answer yes to those questions, then you have experienced life handed over to Satan. This kind of life is the opposite of the rest that God has for you. If this is you, let me attempt, and this is always fraught, but let me attempt to sketch you with just one word overwhelmed. Are you overwhelmed? Have the worries and stresses of your life risen to such a point that you can't manage anymore? You feel like you can't go forward anymore, but you also don't know how to stop. It all just kind of happened. You maybe don't even know how things got to this point. Remember the woman with her finances who needed a ride? Maybe it doesn't seem that strange after all. Sister, brother, these may be the very things that God is using to teach you to rely on Him, to return to Him, and to find rest 
in him. It's a journey. It's a journey that you are invited on, that I am invited on, that all of us get to walk together. But it begins with a trustworthy saying, Jesus Christ came to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Let's pray. Father God, we rejoice that because of your Son, Jesus' love for us, that while we were still sinners, while we were dead in our sins, while we were far off, yet you loved us, drew us to yourself, and that you continue to draw us still, to woo us to yourself still, to love us the way a good father loves his children. We thank you that only through Christ do we have the power, the ability, and the humility that we need to see ourselves honestly and fully as we are, to see our strengths and our goodness and be able to celebrate those, but also to see our weakness, our failings, to see the sin that not only we commit, but the sinful nature at work in everything we do. Father, we thank you for your love, which frees us from the burdens of our lives, of thinking too much or too little of ourselves, which opens us up to relationship with you, to knowing you, and to being loved by you. As we go into this week, Lord, may this next song be our profession, that whatever we do, whatever you have called us to do this week, whoever you've called us to see, whatever surprises you have for us, Lord, We don't do them in our own strength. We do them with Christ in us. Lord, may that be our prayer and our profession this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're able, please stand. We're going to sing together, Yet not I, but through Christ in me.